Well, I hope that um, the Lord continues to get us through with all this technology that we have going on. I can guarantee right now there are a ton of churches in our local area that are live streaming as we speak and are probably trying to crash, and Satan is probably trying to uh, crash Facebook even now. But we're going to continue this thing on. If we get disconnected at any time, I'm sure we will try our very best to figure out how to get back up and running. But we're going to go ahead and jump right into this thing. And uh, first of all, you know, I just want to give a shout out to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Give him some praise. Give him some glory in the house because the king is still on the throne no matter what is going on in this old wretched world around us. And although you may not be with us here right now in this building, but as Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, for though I be absent in the flesh, uh, yet am I with you in the spirit, uh, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And so that's what I want to say to you this morning. We're not here together in person, but guess what? We are here and together in spirit and in truth. And it is my joy to behold your faithfulness and your steadfastness in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, my wife posted something on Facebook just a few days ago uh, that said it is now time for the world or it is now time for us to show the world that the church is not a building. We are the church. If you believe that, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Now, real quick, I do just want to take a moment to clarify my opinion um, on the matter of what's going on, you know, complying with these directives and, and requests of our government to refrain from having a live service at this moment. Uh, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I cannot say that I like complying with this, this request. I, it, was my, it is my heart's desire, it is my instincts uh, for us to ignore everything about this quarantine order or whatever you want to call it and request. And, uh, and I want us to hold a church service. Uh, but my number one concern is you all. And you just have to understand that, please. Uh, with the amount of numerically mature, you, you follow what I'm saying, Pastor Dave? We have a lot of numerically mature members in our congregation. And uh, I want to do everything that I can to make sure that you stay safe throughout this insanity. You see, Governor Kemp uh, was interviewed a couple of days ago pleading with the pastors of our state to abide by this request, citing examples of a church just over in Cartersville where three members of that very church got sick with the virus and one of them are no longer with us today. They actually passed from the COVID-19 virus. And now I don't say any of this to make excuses uh, or because I'm scared of the virus or because I lack faith in God to keep us safe through this crisis because I know God is sovereign and his name is above every name, including uh, the name of any virus. Amen. Yeah, but however, we do live in a natural world that is full of sickness and disease. And that is a part of the fall of man because of sin and death. That's the reality. And the Bible says that it is appointed for all men to die once and then the judgment. Is that not what the word says? How many Christians have suffered and died from cancer, dementia, stroke, heart attack, etc.? So my point in saying this is to answer the prideful assault 
of those who would seek to accuse the brethren, how dare they, in my opinion, of apostasy, which basically means turning away from the faith. And that's just so not the case of what we're doing right now, because all of all because of the precautions uh, that we are being warned to take to prevent the spreading of a virus that we have no idea what the long term effects are. Many of which that are, are making these these false accusations and claims sometimes can be other Christians. And even some of them are those who haven't darkened the doors of a church in a very long time. And so, again, I say to you and to everyone who is listening, we are the church. Somebody say amen. We are the church. And I truly believe that right now the body of Christ is on the verge of a major revival, which is what I've been saying well before we ever even heard of something called COVID-19. Am I right or am I wrong? And what better way to have revival than to get people thinking about death? That's a sad reality. But once we begin, you know, having our minds adjusted from, you know, all of the craziness and busyness of life. And then all of a sudden there's this thing that's going on all around us that gets us thinking in a different direction. What better way to have revival than for the people to be set down for a period of time with the opportunity to open up their Bible and start talking to their spouse and their children about the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He didn't say some things. He didn't say most things. He didn't say we think or we hope, but we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. How many people in the world are thinking about the fragility of life right about now? And seeking the answer to the question that is inside of every soul on this planet, no matter where you live, no matter what culture or ethnicity you may be, everyone has that, that, answer, that question deep within their soul. And this is the question, what happens to us when we die? How many people are thinking along these lines right now? You see, church, the harvest is ripe even now. But the laborers are few. And God is and will continue to use this experience that we're, that we're going through right now as an instrument to turn the hard-hearted back to himself. Somebody ought to say glory to that. So as I've been contemplating over this uh, over the past week or so, I am reminded of a very familiar story that we've heard from Luke 15 Verses 11 through 32. Uh, first of all, before I move into this, listen very closely. I'm telling you, I'm excited to share this word with you. Hit the share button at the bottom of your page right now and get everybody you know to be able to see that because I'm telling you, the Lord wants to speak a word to his people today. The title of the message today is um, Welcome Home. The Father has been waiting. Welcome home. The father has been waiting. So if you can turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. 
and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house when he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful story. This really is. I'm asking that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, God, that you would help us to see what it is that you would have us to see and hear what it is that you would have us to hear. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have to say. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We lift you up and ask that your hand would be, in, be upon us even now. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, looking at the first three verses here in a, a 11 through 13, we can see a very obvious and even um, uh, familiar theme. Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. 
Some of y'all may uh, catch something going on here. And if you're anything like me, you see this young man was at the stage in his life where he was ready to experience what this world had to offer. Ignoring the idea of how hard his father must have worked to save enough money to have an inheritance to divide amongst his sons. His only concern at this point, however, was me, myself and I. Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In my Bible, I have underlined me and me. His only concern was me, myself, and I. And I wonder if this sounds familiar to anyone because I know how familiar it sounds to me. Because it sounds just like me at certain periods and different points and places in my life. At least the attitude, maybe not the inheritance. Amen. (laughs) Now, I do want you to think about this for just a second. Isn't the inheritance supposed to come after a loved one's death? Or at the very least, when a loved one is on, uh, is, is failing in health and directly on the brink of death? So number one, what's going on here for this young son to even think about asking for his inheritance at this point in his father's life would have been akin to wishing death upon his own father. In other words, I'm ready for you to die so I can move on with my life and take all that is supposed to be divided amongst to myself. And the second thing that's going on here is think about the gossip and the rumors that would be taking place as a result of this foolhardy son asking such an outrageous request of his father. Y'all know how we do, man. And y'all probably do this about my kids. You know, the preacher's kids, you know, you know how they are. You know, you know how preacher's kids are. You know, we start talking and we start seeing things that's going on. And, you know, we start start talking about this. And so that's really what's going on, because it's not like this was some isolated event where nobody in the community knew what was going on around them. This was something that was taking place and everybody knew it. But in spite of the implications of the younger son's selfish request, his loving father grants his request anyway. Now, we can't imagine doing that because we're like, hold on a second. Boy, it ain't time yet. You know, you you ain't ready and I ain't ready. I'm still alive and well. There's still things that we have to do. But this loving father grants this son's request anyway. Look what what happens in verse 13. We see that just a few short days later, the son gathers everything he had together and moved away into a far country. And what does he do when he gets there? He wasted his substance on riotous living. Now, in order to put this in its greatest perspective, I've looked up what the word riotous means. The word means luxurious. Wanton. Well, and as I was looking up this definition, I had to look up two more definitions within the definition. I guess that just, you know, shows you my intelligence here. But luxurious or wanton, which means wandering away from moral rectitude or licentious, which also means unrestrained or loose. So in other words, he's unrestrained in in taking uh, place, you know, taking part in festive indulgences. In other words, this guy loved to party hard and show off all the material things that he had. 
Am I speaking to anyone here today? But in his typical fashion of living moment by moment with no thought for his future, he spent everything he had only to be confronted by a great and mighty famine with no way to provide for himself. Now catch what happens in verse 15. After this, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. I want you to think about this in terms of sin. Sin brings separation between us and our heavenly father. In many aspects, I'm sure it's not difficult for us to imagine ourselves in a similar place as this rebellious younger son. And when we get ourselves into whatever trouble that we've had befallen us because of our pride and our sin and our disobedience and all that goes along with such things as this, rather than immediately going and humbling ourselves and turning back to our father and asking him to help us and restore us, we end up going to all of these other places instead. The younger son here goes and joins himself. In other words, he consciously makes a decision to go and join himself to a child of the devil instead of uh, his, his instead of his father to help him with his problem. And his new master ends up sending him to feed the swine in his field, lowering his standards as far down as they could possibly go. You see, Jews weren't even supposed to have anything to do with swine. They were considered unclean and not to be touched. But this young man had drifted so far from his father that his sin had not only had him bound to a heathen in a land in a far country, feeding his swine, but also had him so desperate he was eating what the swine ate. Think about that for a moment. Because he was in a place full of strangers who could care less about him or his empty soul or his empty belly. He was literally as far away from God and his family as he could possibly get. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been around pig pens very much in your life. But this has got to be one of the most horrendous smells you could ever smell. But it's not just what comes out of the pig that smells so bad. It's also what they put in the pig, what they feed the pig. It smells just as bad as what comes out of the pig. You can't even tell the difference pretty much. Thank God none of us have ever been this hungry at, at any stage in our life before. I've been hungry. I've been homeless. And I've been, you know, strung out and not having anything really to call my own. But I've never been to the point to where I'm wallowing around in the pig's mess eating what the pigs ate. Thank God. Praise him. Hallelujah. But do let me assure you of, of this. Maybe none of us have been there at this point. But let me assure you that there is coming such a time as this and even worse. And Jesus answered and said unto them in Matthew 24, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive 
many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. Somebody need to hear that today. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that, endure, that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This may not be tomorrow, and it may not even be in our lifetime, but rest assured, it is coming. Some say that when this time comes, the church won't be having to go through this tribulation period, uh, and that this is really the final call for the Jew and the unbeliever to come to repentance. In other words, this portion of Scripture is not written for the church, because they say the rapture will happen before this actually begins to occur. And my prayer and my hope is that that is the case, because I don't know about y'all. I don't want nothing to do with that. But there will be some that will have to endure such things. And that's my whole point. Ultimately, it is the father that draws people to repentance. But let's not forget that the father uses his church in the parts of in, as a part of his plan. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. Church, let me tell you, a person will do some crazy stuff when they're hungry. They can live in the nicest house on the block and drive the fanciest car out of anybody that you've ever met. But when there's nothing around to eat, this causes a person to get desperate. Look at what is happening all around us right now, just at the thought of not having anything to eat. At this moment of time, there is no famine per se, but people are waiting in line for hours and hours to enter into a grocery store to stock up on food and supplies out of fear that later there may not be any food. Do you see where I'm going with this? Now, verses 17 and 19, this is where a lot of people kind of you know, misconstrue what the Bible's saying here. Look what he says. He says, and when he came to himself, he said... How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The fact that this young son had lost his inheritance to Gentiles in this land in a far country left him in a very difficult situation. In the Jewish culture, 
If you lost your inheritance to Gentiles, then you would be cut off from your Jewish community in this ceremonial uh, ordeal uh, that was called the Kazar. So in his mind, he knew when if he was to try to go back to, to his home, there really wasn't anything left for him there to go back to. So he made a plan up in his mind that since his father's servants, at least they had enough to eat and even more than that, then he would go and beg for his father to give him a job. And this is what I mean by, you know, certain people kind of misconstruing uh, what he's saying right here and kind of, you know, not getting the whole scope of what the scripture says. The younger son at this point, he was not yet repenting for turning his back on his father. What he was was hungry, and he hoped that he could work his way back into the good graces of his father as a hired servant. Father, I have sinned against thee and against heaven, uh, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a as one of your hired servants. What was he saying? He said, you know, I've lost everything I had. I'm eating what the pigs eat. I'm living with the pigs. I've joined myself to uh, an alien and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, now I just let me come back and work for you. So maybe I can get back in your good graces by my works. He says exactly the same thing as the Pharaoh said When the locusts came through Egypt and devoured everything in sight and caused a great famine in the land during the time of Moses. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Of course, we know that the Pharaoh didn't truly repent or or turn away from his sin. He just wanted the locusts to go away. And as soon as the locusts were gone, what did he do next? He took back his promise to let God's people go. So the prodigal son up to this point wasn't so much sorry for what he did, but he was tired of the consequences that he was receiving for what for what he did. And in typical human fashion, he put together a plan to work off his debt to his father. But what he didn't know was this, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, 
and they began to be merry. What the son didn't understand was this. You cannot work your way back into the good graces of the father. You can never be good enough or right enough or holy enough or smart enough. It's not by our works that we are saved from sin and death. It is by his grace that identifies us as sons of the most high God. Somebody say amen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This was his father and he was his father's son. And there was nothing his father wouldn't do to save him. There was no length that he wouldn't go. Even to the point as to what happened earlier on in the same chapter of Luke 15 here, when the shepherd lost one of his uh, when, when the shepherd lost one of his hundred sheep, what did he do? He left the 99 and he went to find the one that was lost. And he, and he didn't come back until he found it. And when it was saved, he called all of his friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Remember, church, the father is not the one who was lost. We don't find him. He finds us. Let's look a little closer at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. All that time, the boy's father had not just been waiting, but also watching looking way out over the horizon until he finally found his lost son making his way back home. A son doesn't have to beg his father to love him. It's already in his father to do so. Just like we don't have to beg our heavenly father to love us. It's already in him to do so. And the father ran to his long lost son, which was totally unheard of in Jewish culture. Grown men did not run. That was a humiliation for them. This act would have required great humility because, first of all, the whole community knew uh, the rebellion and the disrespect that the son and the shame that the son had caused on his father and his family. And yet the father ran and fell on him with compassion and kissed on him anyway. And when the son saw the grace, the love, the compassion or the mercy that his father had extended to him. I believe this is the moment when he truly repented for what he had done. Admitting that I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Thy son. 
Notice the difference between how he says it in verse 19 before his father ran to him and how he says it in verse 21 after his father ran to him. In verse 19, he says, I am no worthy to be called thy son, so make me as one of thy hired servants. That was his plan all along. I'm going to work my my way back into the grace of my father. But in verse 21, after experiencing the grace of his father, he simply acknowledged his understanding that he didn't deserve what his father had extended. But his father gave it to him anyway. Is that not amazing? The younger son represents the lawbreaker, which is you and I. We get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And when the consequences become too great for us to bear, we try and bargain with God and make all these promises to stop doing this or that and work our way to make him proud of who we are. But the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Your works can never get you to where you desire to go. Notice how the father embraced his son before his son had the opportunity to come and say what he had planned to say to him. When his father saw him from afar off, he had compassion and ran to him and fell on him and kissed his neck. Before the son could even say one word. The Father's grace was extended to him. So there's three things that I really want you to take away from this message today. Number one, return. Number two, repent. And number three, revival. Return, repent, revival. When the prodigal son returned home to experience his father's grace, love, and mercy, this led him to a place of true repentance. Not because of the consequences, but but because the love of God covered the multitude of his sin. But when his brother heard about what was going on, he became angry. His brother represents the law keeper. The younger son was the lawbreaker. The older son was the law keeper. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You see, this theme is coming back. Me, myself, and I. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. You see, the older son was angry because he felt there should be there should be some type of compensation from the younger brother to enter back into the good graces of the father. But Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It is Jesus that has paid the price for our sins, not us. 
And in turn, even in spite of his jealous brother's objections, his father threw a celebration party like they had never seen before in their whole life. They had revival right then and right there that very same day. And I want you to look and take notice at what the father said in verse 32. It was meet. In other words, it was appropriate that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Somebody ought to say glory in the house today. See, church, America, world, whoever's watching this video, this is exactly where our heads and our minds and our hearts need to be at this moment, at this time in our life right now. You're going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I have no reason to make this up. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly. That means cautious, watchful in every way, paying special attention to guard against surprise or danger. Why? Not as fools, but as wise. Why? Because we need to redeem this time because these days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Three times I was, this was said to me as I was laying in bed yesterday morning. And what the Lord is saying is that it's time to be watchful, it's time to be cautious, it's time to pay special attention and do not be caught off guard or by surprise because the days are evil. In the Bible, the word of God tells us that these things will come to pass during these last days. We may, I'm not saying it's coming tomorrow, but what I'm saying is that it will come as a thief in the night, so be prepared. Church, return, repent. Not because you're tired of the consequence, but because the Father's grace and His love and His compassion and His mercy is being extended to you right here, right now, today. Repent, return, repent, and we will see revival. And we will hear the father say, welcome home, my child. I've been waiting for you. What glorious words that we'll hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. Church, what a glorious day that will be. But let me tell you something. Right now, in this place, is not the time to panic and start tripping and start going crazy and all this and that. We are on the verge of a revival like the world has never seen. I truly believe that. And, I, and this is what I've been saying for a while now. This revival is not going to look like what we've seen in the past, which is exactly what's happening right now. We've never seen times such as this. 
But God is ready and willing to make all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So my question to you today, are you called according to the purpose and to the will of almighty God? Because if you are, he's ready to make this work together for your good. It's time to humble ourselves and seek his face. Because the Bible says when you humble yourself, the Lord will lift you up. For far too long, we've been worried about the cares and the troubles and, and all the stuff that's going on in our daily life that we've put God on the back burner. And God is saying it's time to return, to repent, and to see revival take place in your life. And I promise you, the Lord is faithful and he's just to do just that. You see, this celebration that happened uh, during this, this story of the prodigal son returning home, when the father threw this huge celebration party, it wasn't to celebrate just the fact that the son was there or that, you know, that he was uh, you know, no longer doing what he was doing. It was to celebrate the restoration between uh, the relationship that had been broken between father and son. And when that relationship had been restored, this was cause for great celebration. Like when the, when the shepherd found his one lost sheep, what did he say? All the host of heaven shall celebrate and rejoice with me because one sinner that hath repented and returned home. Church, it's time to return to your first love. It's time to repent. And it's time to see revival in your life, and in this community. There's something that I just had a conversation with a dear brother of mine just yesterday. He asked me a question. He said, I can't wrap my head around why God allowed Job to go through what he was going through. My answer was simple. Well, first of all, it wasn't God that put him through it. It was Satan. But God allowed him to go through it because he knew that, that Job was above just the circumstance in his life. Church, we can't view God based upon our present circumstance because circumstance changes from moment to moment, but God never changes. So no matter what's going on in our world around us now, if we're on Facebook watching or we have to read the Bible for ourselves, oh, that's so, like that's such a bad thing. We have relied too long on somebody else to feed us and our children. And God is saying it's time to pick that Bible up and eat something for yourself and feed your children for yourself. It's time to get up in this thing. It's time to return, to repent, and to see revival and restoration in your life. And the host of heaven will rejoice in such a way like the world has never seen. God does not change just because we lack faith, even if we, in areas we do lack faith. God is still the same. God is still our Father. God will still supply your grace, your, I mean, your needs according to His riches and mercy in Christ Jesus. 
We don't work our way to salvation. We don't work our way to God's good graces. We, we receive his good graces because we of our identity, which is in Christ. We are his son. We are his daughter. We are his children. And what father would give his children stones when he asked for bread? We serve a good father. It's time to return, to repent, and to see revival. Now, I'm going to give you, ask you one final question, and I'm going to close with this. Do you see the need to return to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see the need all around us and within us to repent and turn away from what we've been doing? Not because of the consequences, but because of our identity. No longer wanting to be, bring shame and disgrace on the Father's name. Because of how much He loves us. When you, when you realize and you recognize, you know, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But there's nothing that I can do to reverse that. Lord, it's got to be you in me. Church, too many people have received that gospel that, you know, that, you know, we have to go and do and, and, and behave and conduct. But it's not us. It's him. It's our identity. The, the gospel is this. The, the, like the, the son, the older son, you can't keep the law. You can't do it. The gospel is there for that simple fact. Because you can't do it, my grace is sufficient for you. I can. Do you see need to repent because of how good God has been to you? Is he calling you right now? Is he asking you to return and to repent and to receive his love and his restoration? Do you see the need for revival in your life? Or in the life of this country or in this world. Because I see it. I see it in my life. I see it in the lives of those around me. And it's not to bring condemnation. It's to bring revelation in this fact. God's not finished with you yet. So it's my prayer today. As we've received this message today. That we would take it to heart. And you may not be here right now, but there's somebody under the sound of my voice, even if it's not live right now. Maybe this video will, will be watched sometime later. But I guarantee somebody's out there watching right now that when I asked that question just a moment ago, their answer was yes. I do see my need to return. I do see my need to repent. I do see my need to have restoration and revival in my life. It's not too late for you. Right now, we can bow our heads. And you don't have to say nothing after me. It ain't about repeating after me. Make this prayer your own. Bow your head and start speaking to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Say, Father, I see my need for you like I haven't seen in a long time. Father, I know I've brought disgrace and I know this nation has brought disgrace upon you. You've blessed us time and time again because you're a good father. Yet continually we act in disobedience, bringing shame to our family. But Father, I know 
It's not too late and it's not caught you by surprise. Father, you're standing there waiting and watching way out over the horizon, looking for your children to return home. And Father, I know that you're faithful. So I'm asking you to break hearts right now in Jesus' name for what breaks your heart. Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not through what we do, but through who we are, which are children of the Most High God. Our identity is in you. That's what brings restoration in our life because you are our Father. We are your children. We're not to force you to love us. It's already in you. We just have to receive it. So if that's you, make that your prayer. Say, Lord, forgive me. I know I'm not worthy to receive this, but I'm ready for that fire to be restored in my life. I'm ready to turn away from and, you know, what I've been doing and come back to my first love. I want to see revival in my heart. I want to see revival in my life and my spirit. I want to see revival in my family. I want to see revival in my friends. I want to see revival in my community, in my nation, in this world. Because we know that we, now is the time to redeem the time because the days are evil and steadily coming to a close father we want to do everything we can to let our light so shine before men so that they might see our good works and glorify you in heaven help us jesus lead us and guide us we love you and we praise you and we thank you in jesus name